0: This is the Life Church podcast. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, you know, we, we say this around here all the time that uh, we want you to sit in rows, which you're doing right now. You're sitting in rows, which essentially is our way of saying, "Hey, be be in com- be be in community by coming to church. Be on a regular, you know, be regular in church." we also said that but that's not enough if that's all you do it's not enough you need to sit in circles as well and this is the the idea behind that is that we are we need to be see when you're sitting in rows all you get is me you only get to hear me my stories and be honest that's gonna be kind of boring look I promise you if you attend church here for a year you're done hearing all my stories you will have heard them over and over again after a couple years. So, so you need to start hearing some new stories. And that's where get sitting in circles, sitting with other people and hearing what God is doing. And so classes that we offer, small groups, these are all ways in which you can get connected with other people in the faith and also get, begin to grow in your faith as well. So starting point is one of those. You know, intro to the Holy Spirit is another one of those. There are several classes. So I just encourage you, you know, make that a priority. If you're not connected in any other way except for coming on Sunday mornings, would you consider going to our website, going to the events page and saying, okay, I'd like to sign up for this or that. You know, don't, don't do too much. Just sign up for one. and check, check it out you know? Find a small group. Maybe you know a couple people in the, in the church that you are connected with and you like being around them. Hey, ask them, hey, are you a part of a small group? And if you are, can I join your small group? If you're not a part of a small group, connect with Tony, Tony, our worship pastor. You saw him right here earlier leading worship with the electric guitar, the guy that was right there. You see him? Okay. Um, <clears throat> connect with Tony and he would get you hooked up and getting a small group started and maybe hosting one as well. So, all righty. Uh, we're you know we're in this series called 8 hills but before we even go into that i just i two services passed, and i totally spaced out the fact that i became a grandpa again this week with my my yeah thank you <laughs> applause for me no <laughs> no we had a my my daughter-in-law had a had a little boy by the name of Samuel Elliot and i you know, I didn't know what the name, I, I think I knew the name was going to be Samuel, but when they said Samuel Elliot, it's like, hey, that's one of my, that's one of my favorite actors. I like a Westerns and stuff, you know, Sam Elliott, man, that's, that's great, you, you, you know, he's going to be my favorite grandson. No, <laughs> they're not here, this service is not being recorded, so we're good, all right. All right, so we're in the series, uh, we're, we're in the series, Eight Hills, where we're talking about the, the eight values that we, that we as a church embrace live out, and believe in. And so we've been talking about that. Two weeks ago, we kicked off with talking about biblical truth, the foundational uh, value of Life Church, where everything is built on God's word. And then last week, we talked about God's love. We hold that intention to biblical truth so that we have a balanced faith and a life-giving faith. Today, we're going to talk about passionate spirituality. But before I get into that, I want to ask you, if, if you have ever seen this comic strip before, go, go ahead and put it up on the screen. Anybody ever seen this comic strip? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few. I noticed the gray beards. Yeah, I'm me too, right? Because this was actually something from the '50s, and it used to be on the back of comic books. So I would read my these comic books and I, and. And this would be on the back. And it was like, it wasn't really like the comic book. It was more something, you know, geared towards adults about being strong and all that stuff. But it's very uh, not politically sensitive at all. Uh, it's the, uh, the caption, hey, skinny, you're a sh- you're, your, your ribs are showing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of su- silly, you know. And and so anyways, this is a whole, it's a, it's a whole strip about a, a skinny guy on the beach who, 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 uh, He's with his girlfriend and then some bully on the beach who comes along, who's stronger, and he, and he kind of taunts him and makes, makes fun of him and beats him up, and then the guy goes away. He buys Charles Atlas's book. It's, I uh, see, the title of that book, I never even bought it, but uh, Everlasting Health and Strength, right? He buys Charles Atlas's book, and, and for 15 minutes a day, he works out, and he comes back, and this time he's strong, and he says, hey, I love this, uh, uh, Here's a love tap from that bag of bones. Remember, and he punches the guy. It's it's silly, but here's the thing. I used to look at this at this at this comic strip when I was a little kid. I was a teenager, really, and I was looking. I'm like, Mom, we need to buy this book. And my mom's like, You're you're ridiculous. We're not going to buy this book. But I was mesmerized by this advert because this is what I looked like when I was 17. I was that bag of bones. I was the one susceptible to being bullied at the beach, right? That's my Sasquatch pose, by the way. I got caught. I was on camera, <laughs> you know. And so, and so, yeah. I mean, look, look at those shorts. My lord, that's got to be 1970s. It was 1980, actually. Yeah. I and, and believe it or not, I really thought I was styling there. I thought, man, look at me, you know. Anyways, let's move that picture as that. Strength. Physical strength. I'm not talking about physical strength today. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think sometimes, spiritually speaking, we feel like that skinny guy on the beach. We don't feel confidence. We feel like we're missing out. We feel like we're not strong enough, right? Like we've come to faith in Jesus, but we're still struggling, right? And I need my marriage to be restored. I you know, my relationship with my kids, you know, there's still issues there. God, I need you to step in. And so we find ourselves longing for strength and we find ourselves longing for more power in our lives to be able to overcome this life. But what we've discovered and what I've discovered is that we can only go so far in our own strength. We can only go so far in our own power. My own capabilities, my own ingenuity can only take me so far. We need strength, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. The Bible promises that we can live an, an overcoming kind of life, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you can live an overcomer kind of life, but you can't do that in your own strength. You really need the strength of the Holy Spirit. So this is where the, this, this value of passionate and spirituality comes into play. <laughs> That's Okay. Somebody's looking for their, their mom. Yes, we need a mom. All right. Back there in the back. There we go. <laughs> so our third value, passion is spiritual. I'm not going to talk about the value itself. I'm not going to dissect the value. I want to talk about what's behind that value. Why, why this is a value for us. This is the value. It's never too late to become who you might have been. That's a very powerful statement all by itself. It's this belief, it's this idea that you can become all that God has called you to become. And it's also this affirmation that sometimes as we navigate through life, as we try to do life, our Christian life, in our own strength, in our own ability, that sometimes things happen in life. We are detoured. We, we take a wrong road. Our sin causes us to fall away from God. And there's so, it's so common for us, to, to after that has happened, to feel like, well, I'm only going to ever be able to live God's second best for my, for my life. I'm only ever going to be able to just achieve just this much in my Christian walk because after all, I ruined it. I messed up. There is no hope for me. So too many operate that. We believe that it's never too late to become who you might have been, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's never too late to achieve it. And that through your detours and sometimes through the, through the sin that, we, that God is actually working and he's going to bring you back to that place where you will bring glory to his name through your life. He says we value spending our lives in a, trans, in a transformational pursuit of God. Not just pursuing God, but there's a transformational pursuit of God. That our lives, we're on a journey, a Christian journey, that our lives are day by day being changed and transformed into the image of Christ. But I think too often though we we, you know, we can come to this place where we think we've already arrived. You know, I'm in church, I, I faithfully attend, I made it, I maybe I was baptized and there I'm done. And it's easy for us to think that, you know, I've arrived in God, that God's done working, but that's not at all the case. Last service, there's a gentleman in this service, his name is Wayne. Pastor Wayne. He was a pastor for many, many years. He's 86 years old. And I was talking to him about this, and he himself told me, you know what? My journey, I, have, I am still learning. That's what he told me. I'm still, I come to church, I still learn new things. Because we are in this transformational pursuit of God. It is constantly happening in our lives. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that this happens. We need a consciousness that the Holy Spirit is actively working in my life to transform me. And to basically make me into the image of Christ. And so my response to is simply, Holy Spirit, come. I just want to experience you. I want to experience your power. Uh, I depend on you, Holy Spirit. I depend on you. Now, you have to understand that in the New Testament, the early church, they were dependent. I'm using that word very, very, very intentionally. They were dependent on the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer talks about the early church, and this is what he says. He says, if the Holy Spirit had withdrawn from the New Testament church. Like if the Holy Spirit was, you know, whatever they were doing as a church, people, what they were doing as a church, if they started doing it strictly in their own strength and in their own power, in their own ingenuity, with their own intelligence, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would have noticed. The idea there is that God is working through this church and the Holy Spirit is at work in this church. Now, when I read, this comes up in my, in my feed every once in a while because I've posted it on Facebook, but uh, when I read this, this kind of puts some holy fear inside of me because it makes me ask the question, if the Holy Spirit was to move away from Life Church, would we go on business as usual? Would it be just normal just to keep doing what we do? Would I just get up here and preach sermons every Sunday and would we just lead worship and do, would we just keep doing that? I don't believe that that's true for us. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit, and I want that to be always true of me personally, and I want that to be true of every single one of us in this room, that God is at work. God is at work in each and every one of us. God has a destiny for your life. He has a purpose for your life, and he's going to fulfill that as we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. So this third value speaks to that, right? It's this journey that's a day-by-day kind of transformation, and it can't happen in our own strength. We truly, truly need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not exactly talking about head knowledge. Not like, you know, okay, you know what the Greek word for, for spirit is, and you know what the Hebrew word for spirit is, ruach and numa. You know, like I got that figured out, you know, and you know you know how the Holy Spirit operates. You know, you need to learn those things. Those are important things to learn. But I'm not talking about intellectual knowledge of the, of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about experiential knowledge of the Holy Spirit. About experiencing God's power in our life. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples right before he was taken up into heaven, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power. You will receive power. So if you're here this morning and you feel sometimes powerless, hopeless, you feel like life is actually in control, your circumstances are in control, you're not in control in life, and you feel lost. And you need power, Jesus' is promising power. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And the power, the word that he uses there in the Greek is the word, it's not, the, it's not the, exactly the word dunamis, but it comes from the word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. So this is actually talking about explosive power, supernatural strength kind of power. As we see in the book of Acts, you see that the Holy Spirit was constantly, as the the Holy Spirit would touch and and move people, it was constantly with the idea of them being witnesses towards people that were watching. As the Holy Spirit takes over my life, as I live a life walking in the Spirit, that it it benefits those around me, those that are are in my periphery, get to experience God because they see the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. It was consistently tied to being a witness for Jesus, All right? It wasn't given strictly for your own benefit, although you do benefit when you receive the Holy Spirit. It was given so that you can shine for Jesus and that the world around you would see that, right? Now, when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, his primary idea here is that of dependency, right? I depend on the Holy Spirit. Our Christian life is, a, is about trusting and depending upon God, I saw an illustration the other day, or I heard an illustration the other day of a, of a, of a tree. Maybe I have a big tree in my yard that I need to cut, cut down, and, I, and so I see this tree, and I, I need to get rid of this. It's a big tree, so I reach into my pocket, and I pull out a Swiss Army knife, and in this Swiss Army knife, there is a serrated edge, maybe an extra long serrated edge, and I'm like, I'm excited, because I've got a serrated edge that's going to cut down this tree. Now, you listen to me, and you say, Rich... Who would do that? Who would pull out a Swiss army knife to try to cut down a tree? Especially when you have a brand new steel chainsaw sitting in a garage. Right? doesn't make any sense. That's exactly how it is when we try to live this Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like pulling out a Swiss army knife and trying to do everything we can in our own strength. And then we find ourselves failing. We find ourselves not being able to, to succeed. So you need to understand that we need to to depend, we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So your relationship challenge, your behavioral struggle, your addictive struggle, your addiction struggles, right? your anxiety and those kind of things, those disorders that you might have, the tendencies to think that I just need to muscle my way through it, I need to work harder, I need to read all the books about it, I need to study harder. And the truth is that Jesus is simply saying, I need you to depend more on me. It's not about becoming self-reliant. It's about about becoming spirit-dependent. And that's the kind of life that we want to live, is a life of being depending on the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in Luke chapter 24, tells his disciples, I'm going to give you this power, but I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive it. I want you to wait. And the implication there is that, hey, before you get busy and start living your life and start being the you know doing the ministry and and trying to perform all the all the Christian things that you're supposed to do, I want you to wait until you've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is making it clear that we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. All right, and so I want to talk a little bit about how the Holy Spirit empowers us. A couple couple points of how the Holy Spirit empowers us, and then uh, yeah, we'll get to it. But. Um, First of all, the Holy Spirit empowers us when we are weak. The Holy Spirit empowers us when we are weak. In fact, it's only in weakness that we can truly experience His power. Because it's it's an idea of dependence, right? So when I think I'm strong, when I say to God, I've got this, I can handle this, I'm going to do this in my own strength, that's when we think we can do it. It's oftentimes in those moments that we don't really experience the power of God. It's only when we experience the power of God. We we experience the power of God only when we are dependent upon him, when we are weak, when we need him. See, that's how often we approach life. I've got this. So here's, like, for example, a plumber. Imagine nobody in this room wants to have to call a plumber, right? You want to ever have to call a plumber? No, we don't. We only call a plumber because there's a problem, you know, and then we have to deal with a bent over plumber and whatever, you know, and sorry, <laughs> bad image, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's, we don't, we don't really want to call a plumber. I think oftentimes that's how we relate to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I've got this. I'm going to do this on my own. And if, if I just need you, then I will reach out to you. Then I'll call you. Then I'll ask you for help. But that's not really dependence. That's not really trusting God and trusting the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That There's this connection between our inabilities and the Holy Spirit's power. And when we're weak, when we're vulnerable, when we're short on strength, that's when we can rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, this might come as a surprise to some of you, but I don't know if you realize this, but God doesn't really need your help. You get that? Isn't really, doesn't, he doesn't need your talents. He doesn't necessarily need your abilities. He doesn't need your money. Uh, we receive offerings, but it's not like God's up there saying, oh, my bank account's running low. Rich, will you please tithe? I need to get my bank account back up. Doesn't, that's not God. He doesn't need my money. In fact, in fact, what we own, the stuff that we have, it all belongs to God. He's just letting us, letting us use it. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need our opinions. He doesn't need our, our counsel. He definitely doesn't need our permission. Bible well, speaks of God as self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. And so why would God even bother with us? Why, why even have church if God is self-sufficient, if he doesn't need us at all? There's one thing, I'm going to kind of venture off into some theological slippery ice. <laughs> The one thing that he wants from us, and I'll go as far as say maybe even needs from us, is dependence. That's how this relationship works. That's how you get to experience God is when we come to him in our weakness and say, God, I need you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't live this life on my own. And even if I could try to live a, a semblance of this life on my own, God, it's not really living to the full potential of what you have for my life. So, God, I just, I just depend on you. I need you. This is hard for us because we're a very independent people. We don't like to be the person in that relationship that's needy, right? And so we always are just, just about independence, right? And so God gives us power and He strength and blessing in exchange for dependence. Now, this church history proves this. I, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've ever read in church history, but the most effective, the most, um, the, the biggest growth that ch- church ever experienced most often happened not when they had power, not when, when they were in power. Most often happened when they were marginalized, when they were persecuted, when they were lacking in power. That's when you see the explosive growth of the, of the church, when they were weak. So when we are weak, when you're weak, it's like there's room now for the Holy Spirit to come and do something for us. If you find yourself in that position where you're vulnerable, where you're weak, where you feel stuck, just know that's a perfect spot for the Holy Spirit to come and empower you. I know I've experienced that. I know that for me, that was the case. You know, I've been in places where I felt like the walls were caving in. I felt powerless. you ever been there? Where you felt powerless? And as hard as I tried, it seemed like I was getting nowhere, and it wasn't only it wasn't only until I stopped and I said, Holy Spirit, I can't do this. I need you. I need your strength. And it's in those moments where I feel and experience a sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. Where miracles actually happen on my behalf. Not when I was strong, when I was weak. So first, the Holy Spirit empowers us when we're weak. Also, the Holy Spirit will sanctify you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says this, but you were washed... <clears throat> you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Now, sanctified is a theological term. It's a technical term in the Bible that basically means being made more and more in the image of Jesus, that you're in a process, you're in a journey, that when you come into the faith, you come in kind of like a baby and you start growing up in, in, in Jesus, you become more and more like Jesus. That's the sanctification process in our life. And it says here that the Holy Spirit is the one who's sanctifying us. A few months ago, we, we did a series called Peeled where we talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one of the primary ideas about the fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit and how the fruit of the Holy Spirit grows in us is as we walk in the Spirit. And the idea there is that of walking step in step 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 and step stepping with the, in step with the holy spirit like staying in, in in cadence with the holy spirit as we do that we begin to experience more of god and our lives begin to be changed and transformed because we are being sanctified we're growing in in christ and becoming more like christ if you remember i gave that illustration of being in the airport in denver and there was this, um, this family that was in front of me and You know, they had these long, uh, they're like automatic paths where you get on this path and you just stand there and it just kind of moves you along until you get to to the next terminal. And so there's this path and there's this family that was on the path, this moving path. I was on it as well behind them. But I noticed that outside of the path was the husband and he had carry-on bags over both of his shoulders, you know, and they were all eating lunch. So they all had some meal or something and the... uh, the, the husband as well, he had his lunch in his hand. But he's struggling because he's not on the path. See, that we're all standing there, and it's moving us along. He was on the side of the path and he was just trying to keep up with bags over his shoulders and he's trying to eat his lunch as well. We got almost to the end of the path when suddenly he just fell forward and his lunch just went flying. And he looked at his wife and he said, His wife said, I told you to get on the path. <laughs> right? This idea of us. It's the perfect metaphor of us walking this Christian walk, trying to do it in our own strength and our own ability. And God says, look, if you'll just rely on the Holy Spirit, if you'll just trust the Holy Spirit, I will guide you through life. I will lead you through life. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. And that's why when you gave your life to Christ, you used to react in anger, but now you're, you're responding in gentleness. You used to act selfishly, but now, now you act with kindness. You used to be demanding, and now you're, just, you're more patient. You used to you know, be impulsive, and now you exercise self-control. This is all the Holy Spirit at work in you, transforming you day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. It's the work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. The Holy Spirit also helps us to know God's will. The Holy Spirit helps us to know God's will. In John 14, 26, it says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, notice there that, that uh, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about a Holy Spirit who's coming, and he's also talking about the Father who's going to send the Holy Spirit, so this is a clear indication or a pointing to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things, okay, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things and will remind you of all that I have said to you. Holy Spirit counsels us, he guides us, he leads us. Now often, I've been in ministry for some time now, and I often am faced with this question. How do I know God's will? Like, I really wanna know God's will. I wanna know what I'm supposed to be doing for God. And I've been faced with that question over and over again. The longer I live, the more I realize that this really, the answer to that question is not so much about revelation as as much as it's about relationship. That we're expecting, you know, to have some mystical dream so that I can have direction from God. Or that, or that some person, prophet, is going to walk up and say, thus saith the Lord, you need to do this and you need to do that. And that's how we will know what God's will is for our life. But I've discovered that more often than not, it's just simply that I'm in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm walking with the Spirit, step in step with the Spirit. And I just know that where I'm at right now is exactly where I'm supposed to be that the direction I'm walking is exactly where I'm supposed to be going because I'm walking step in step with the Holy Spirit. I think a cool example of this idea of being led or guided by the Holy Spirit is found in Acts chapter 15. Um, The church leaders are writing a letter to Gentile believers um, in in Macedonia, and they're, they're writing this letter, And they're explaining, you know, some some rules and stuff that they need to follow, some instructions. And there's this little phrase, this little interesting phrase that we can really look over it when we read this passage. In Acts 15, 28, it says, it seemed good. This is in the middle of that letter. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that. Because I think sometimes we think that it's supposed to be like the earth shook The wind just busted through here. We all fell on our faces, and then we knew that this was what we were supposed to do. This was God's will for us. And yet, here these these church leaders are praying about some new changes that need to happen with the church, and they just simply said, it just seems good. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. We're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, and we feel a confirmation in our heart that this is exactly how it's supposed to be. It just seemed good, and this speaks of relationship, it speaks of us keeping in step with the Spirit. In that way we will know His perfect will for us. Now, you need to know this that that was a stretch for this early church. They were being led into some uncharted territory. Because up to this point, that young church was a Jewish only church, Jewish faith only church. What I mean by that is that they were, all, they were all Jews who had accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And they were they would practice their Jewish faith. Their children would get circum, their boys would get circumcised, and uh, you know they would follow all of the different rituals. And they 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 celebrated the different feasts, and they claimed Jesus to be their Messiah, their Lord and their Savior. And now they're writing a letter to some Gentile believers and they're saying, "No, you don't have to do all of that stuff." So easily they could have said, "Hey, you need to do what we do." And there were some people who did that. But it seemed good to the Holy Spirit that this is how they should be and this is how they should act. This is a powerful, powerful moment in church history. And you need to know that that's sometimes how the Holy Spirit will guide you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you into some uncharted territory. And that's why here at Life Church, we value doing new things in new ways. So we say all the time, we do new things in new ways because we don't, we don't believe that God wants us to be boxed into some tradition or some kind of a, uh, some kind of way of doing it. This is how, you know, I, I'm telling you, I've, you know how many times somebody has come to our church after a couple of visits and say, you know, in my old church, we used to do this. I'm like, yeah, that's great. I'm, amen for that. But God is leading us this way. So we don't want to be boxed into doing those things. But at the same time, as we're seeking God's will, and we don't always get it right when we do new things, we don't always get it right. We realize oh, that was a dumb idea. Let's not do that again. We were not listening to the Holy Spirit when we did that. But as we seek to do these new things, we also are often asking ourselves the question, does this line up with Scripture? Will the Scriptures support this? Or is there something in Scripture that will prevent us or keep us from doing this, doing this thing that's a little bit different than the norm? We want to be led by the Spirit, but we don't want our tradition. We don't want our traditions. We don't want those boxes that we have to restrict us. But we also want to trust and lean into the Scriptures and know that we are being led by the Scriptures as well. So we keep in step with the Spirit and we stay centered on God's Word. Um, this past summer, I had a an interesting phone call. I didn't answer it. I just it went straight to voicemail because it was like a a number I didn't recognize. <laughs> which there's a lot of that, I guess. And uh, I got this voicemail, and so. It, When I saw the length of the voicemail, I said, well, I better listen to this. Somebody was trying to give me a message, you know? And so this this is what I heard. Hello. We have been trying to reach you. This call is officially a final notice from IRS, Internal Revenue Services. The reason of this call is to inform you that IRS is filing lawsuit against you. To get more information about this case file... Please call immediately on our department number 859-475-1922. I repeat, 859-475-1922. Thank you. Now, how many of you received that call or something similar to that? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Now, honestly, when I first got the call, it was a little unsettling. You know, to hear the IRS is got a, a, a lawsuit against you. You're like, whoa, that's, those are some pretty big words, right? So a little. So I call the number, you know? Now, I'm pretty much that way. When somebody says, call me because I have an issue with you, I will call you. So if you ever want to leave me a voicemail and say, hey, pastor, I didn't like your sermon on Sunday. Will you call me back? You're going to get a call from me, okay? But so I call this guy, and uh, I, call, I call this person, and the lady answer, very nice, polite lady. I tell her, What's going on? And she's like, immediately knew who I was. Yes, Mr. Greeny. she called me. Mr. Greenie, uh let me transfer you to an IRS agent. So I got transferred to an IRS agent. His name was Franklin. Now, it was obvious that Franklin's first language was not English. So the first thought that went through my mind was, who's teaching these IRS agents proper grammar these days? Because this, this guy doesn't, I don't understand half of what he's telling me. Franklin was angry. I mean, Franklin was like, Mr. Green, we, we are going to sue you. you need to, and he, t- he just kept telling me all kinds of stuff. My 2011 taxes, until I settled my 2011 taxes, uh, you know, immediately, I had to do it immediately. If I didn't do it immediately, this is what he said. Within 24 hours, the police, local police, will show up at my doorstep. And so I pushed back, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, this, this sounds fishy, you know. I'm not sure if this is right. I pushed back a little bit. He got even angrier. He starts yelling at me. He says, he's exact words. I don't need to explain myself. You just need to listen. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I, I heard you. I just need to ask you something. No, I don't need to answer any questions. You just need to listen. And so he hung up on me because <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't backing down. And so, now, to be honest with you, be very honest with you, I wasn't at all shaken by that phone call or the message. Because I knew that this really didn't match up with what I already know about the IRS. I know that if I was missing $7,000 from my 2011 tax return, (laughs) that's a lot of money. But if I was missing $7,000 from my 2011 tax return, that the IRS simply would not wait seven years to give me a phone call. Like within months, I would get a letter from them and basically they'd say, This was wrong, and we took it. (laughs) It's gone. (laughs) You know, That's how they would operate. And if law enforcement ever had to be involved, they wouldn't warn me that in 24 hours they're gonna show up. They would just show up. So I knew that there was inconsistency between what, what I already knew about the IRS and what this voice on the phone was trying to tell me. And what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that God wants to lead us and speak to us and there are voices that will speak to us and we need to know God's word so we can test it against God's word, right? It's not, We don't want to be led by our opinions or our feelings or or late night pizza. We want to know that it's the Holy Spirit that's leading us and guiding us, right? Now, there are many other ways in which the Holy Spirit empowers us. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you read that the Holy Spirit empowers us by giving us gifts that benefit other people, so... So he wants to give you gifts, different types of gifts. Um, we also know that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that, that we even come to Jesus for salvation. Right? In fact, I think it's probably the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit is that a person who is an unbeliever comes to a place and says, Jesus, you're my Lord. That is a powerful manifestation that we are saying, Jesus is Lord of my life. Right? So there's many different ways in which the Holy Spirit empowers us. As we talk about passion and spirituality, as we desire to become all that God has intended for us to become, I think the response is just simple. Holy Spirit, here I'm, Here my, I, I want to walk in your spirit. I want to be empowered by your spirit. I want to be, be all that you have for me. That's really our response. Now remember, that's a dangerous prayer because what it requires is vulnerability. What it requires is dependence. What it requires is you saying to yourself, I don't have this all figured out. This spiritual journey thing, this walk, this Christian walk thing, I don't have it all figured out. And I need help. And the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and help you. Wants to guide you. Wants to fill you. Wants to empower you so you can live this life. I can think of a great example of, of what I'm talking about here when I talk about the... Um, the leading of the Holy Spirit is Kingdom Builders, for example. You know, around here we do Kingdom Builders. And Kingdom Builders is our, basically our missions, accelerating funding uh, tool that we use to basically support more missions around the world. We kicked that off this year. This is the first year we've done Kingdom Builders. We kicked it off back in March, and we are expected by the end of this year to be able to give over $200,000 to Kingdom Builders. Now, that's pretty Crazy. That in the first few months we have over two hundred thousand dollars coming in for kingdom builders. You're very generous people, that's for sure. But you need to know the backstory behind this, what seems to be a miracle. Two years before that, I was in prayer and I was feeling the Holy Spirit nudging me, convicting me, challenging me, saying, "Rich." You're in this new building now. You're, you're, too, you're too narrow focused on what's going on in this building. And I want you to do more. And I was fretting, and to be honest, I was looking, I was getting, you know, Monica's sitting here, she's our treasurer. She's looking at our financial reports. And I'm like, okay, Lord, where are you? God, provide, you know, and I'm we're a lot of fretting going on. But I remember I was in prayer one morning, and I felt like clear as day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Rich. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of my business, which is reaching lost people. I will take care of Life Church. You take care of my business, I will take care of Life Church. And I know that moment that God was saying to me, "You're weak. You can't do this in your own strength. You don't have the power to make this happen. So you need to trust me. You need to lean into me." And so out of that was birth, Kingdom Builders. Now, I'll be honest with you, my secret fear was. And I shared it with a few people, very few people, because I didn't want to come across as uh, faithless. Which, I, in some ways, I was faithless. But my secret fear was, God, they're going to give all their money to kingdom builders, and we won't have any money left for the local, our local, you know, expenses and stuff, the things that we have going on here at Life Church. It's all going to go to keep. They're going to be because I know them, God. They are such generous people. They're just going to empty out their pockets for kingdom builders, and then we won't be able to pay rent or salaries or anything. Now, I knew better because I had friends, and I've heard stories of people where, where they just, I have a friend who basically emptied out their church. He's a pastor who had a, a, a church, and they had $60,000 in their checking account. And the, a missionary came through, Mark Buntain came through, and the friend said, God has just told me I need to give him $60,000. So I, gave, I wrote him a check for $60,000, and, and he, off he went to Calcutta. And two weeks later, somebody, a total anonymous, uh, not anonymous, a total stranger, walked into church, sat in the, in the back of the church, and at the end of the service wrote a check for $500,000, so much so that the guy was like, got this check, and he's like, okay, who writes checks for, five? this has got to be a fake? So he went called the guy up, and they went, and they said, okay, well, if you don't want it back, we just go to the bank. So they went to the bank and got a, an actual bank transfer check, and then he's like, okay, this is real. So there's miracles that happen. So I've celebrated those miracles. So to be honest with you, now I was in that place of needing to trust. Now I was in that place of feeling vulnerable and weak. And it's in that moment and it's in that place where the Holy Spirit steps in and does the miracles. You know, I thank God for a board that is... They just trust Jesus and says, yeah, that's what God's doing. They, they step out in faith. I thank God for staff that believe that, that to do anything for God, we're going to have to risk. Because the numbers speak for themselves. We will give close to $200,000 or maybe over $200,000 to Kingdom Builders this year. And can I tell you that our, that our tithes and offerings are up like 20 25% as well? So God is faithful. Miracles are happening. It's nothing less than a miracle what's happened financially for Life Church this past year. And it all started with simply saying, Holy Spirit, I can't do this on my own. I need you. You might be here right now and you need a miracle in your life. Maybe it's not to that magnitude. Maybe it's not in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe it's simply, here, simply you need God to just intervene in your marriage. Maybe it is a financial blessing that you I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will come in power when we simply put our hands out open-handedly say, I can't do this on my own. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. Amen. Let's all stay. It's not too late to become who you might have been. We're in this transformational pursuit of God and it's all fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit so like most sermons you hear a sermon and it's easy to step back and think okay I gotta do this now What? give me the list of things I need to do Rich there's no list it's a posture of the heart it's willing to say God I'm just vulnerable I just need you I, I, I'm kind of nervous about the whole Holy Spirit thing but Lord I know that I can't solve the situations of, the situations in my life that are ca- causing grief, that are causing trouble, that are causing difficult I can't solve that in my own strength so God I need you to step in and do it in your power and your spirit and if that's how we posture ourselves with God, he promises the Holy Spirit Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you amen This is the Life Church podcast.